You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. Acts chapter uh, 17 is where we will be at this morning in verse 16. I've titled the message, Identifying Idols. Identifying Idols. Um, Idols are really easy to see in other people's life. It's kind of like pride. Um, Pride is easy to see in other people's life. Idols are either easy to see in other people's life, but it is almost impossible for us to see it in our own life. It's, It's kind of like that spot in the middle of your back that you just can't scratch when it itches. You just can't Get to it. You need somebody else to, uh, to come to your aid and, and, and just get that spot. Uh, and this morning we're going to be talking about identifying idols. And the Apostle Paul um, goes to a place that, that really didn't invite him to come. He is just on another missionary journey. He's going to the city of Athens. And he, he recognizes all throughout the city idols uh, enshrines places of worship, and he, he identifies uh, the idols to them, even to one that they don't even know his name. They, uh, they, they've come up with the names of all of the other ones, but just in case there's an idol or a god, a little g-god that they are not familiar with, uh, they, they also have uh, that idol as well. It's called the unknown god to them. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to identify the idols in their life. I want us to do the same as well. Now let me just say on the front end, Acts chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 16 down through the end of the chapter. Uh, There is a lot in this section of Scripture. Uh, I I mean, we could spend uh, months uh, talking about this one missionary journey, and it is a short, it's probably the shortest of all of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys where he goes, shares the gospel, and then exits. What's interesting about this missionary journey, different from any of the others, is, is, is he doesn't face any persecution there per se. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no stoning of him, there's no beating of him, there's no putting him in prison. He, he just exits uh, stage Left. But this is one of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. He, is, he has been to Philippi, and then he's been to Thessalonica, and then Berea, and now he is in the city of Athens. Athens, if you, let me just give you a little bit of a background. Again, I can't go into, into all the detail, and I wish that I could. This would be a, just a really good uh, study for you to take on your own, or maybe in a Sunday school class to really dive deep into all that is in this portion of the text. We just don't have enough time here this morning. But Athens, in its heyday, in its glory days, was the philosophical and cultural mecca of its day. If you think for just, if you could just, if we could take all the Ivy League colleges and, and, and move them all to New York City and, and bring all of the culture and the, and the creativity of Los Angeles, Hollywood and, and, and uh, Los Angeles, California and, and bring them to New York City and just mash all of that together in New York City, uh, not, not population-wise, but just thinking philosophy and culture and just mixing it all together in just one big old soup, it would be Athens in its heyday. Now, um, 
In its heyday, that was about 400 B.C., 400 years before Christ. The Apostle Paul is there, uh, not necessarily in its heyday, uh, he is there somewhere around 50 to 60 A.D. Uh, and, so, and so it is not necessarily in its heyday, but it is still a major, major impact, even today. Athens was the home of Socrates. I know you've heard of Socrates, the father of Western philosophy, who taught Plato, who, who later would teach Aristotle. And those, uh, those philosophies are still being debated today and discussed uh, today. Uh, but, but Corinth, Corinth is now the city. It is the Mecca uh, city, and the Apostle Paul will get to Corinth um, uh, right after Athens, we'll look at it, God willing, as we get into chapter 18. But let's, let's dive in, and then um, <clears throat> I'll uh, unpack the Scriptures, and then we're going to come back and we will apply the Scriptures at the very end. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, if you remember in, in, when he was in Berea, uh, he was, Silas and Timothy was with him, and and he leaves, and Silas and, and Timothy stay behind to help nurture this, this young uh, church. And while he is waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens, the Apostle Paul was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. That word distress, some of your translations use the word provoked. The Apostle Paul, as he is waiting for these two brothers uh, to come to him uh, so they can go and they can evangelize this new miss, this missionary field, he begins to just walk through the city, the places of worship, to, their, to the marketplace, and he begins to see idol after idol after idol, shrine after shrine. Some historians, um, uh, using hyperbole, say that there was more idols than there were people. And, and, and as he walks throughout the city, he can no longer wait for Paul or for, for Timothy and Silas. He is distressed. He is provoked. That literally means this. He is irritated at what he sees. There is a holy, righteous indignation in the Apostle Paul. He, he sees all of these idols and he sees people worshiping them, bowing down to them. He sees them feeding them, placing food at, at their feet in the morning. And then because they don't eat it, because they're dead, right? They would go and they'd clean up the old food and then they would, uh, they would come back and, and the next morning just put more food down. Something you see, you see that very thing going on in India. Last year when I had the opportunity to go to India, I'm telling you, idols everywhere. We were there at a, at, a, at, a, at a high and holy day of all of their worship, and their, uh, they, 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 they would take their idols, and, and for a week, they would, it was just a, a, a big parade. They would parade their idol, their, their monkey god or their, their elephant god, and they would parade them throughout the town for, for a week, and at the end of the week, they would have this huge celebration, and they would throw their idols, their gods, into the water and drown them. Seems really odd kind of a celebration uh, to me that you would do that to your idol, but that's what they would do. And so while we were there, we just noticed all of these floats and people walking behind these floats, and then you'd see them dump them in this, what would look like uh, sewage water, and there was literally hundreds of thousands of these gods. This is why I believe this is exactly what Paul is saying, and he has moved to, to this is just irritated he's provoked he's upset but I want you to notice this the apostle Paul was emotionally moved but his irritation didn't lead him to hatred 
His irritation didn't lead him to apathy, but towards gospel advance. I don't know about you, we were, we were having uh, lunch uh, the other day and, and we were talking, just sitting around the table, just talking about everything that's on the news and how, and how we can get so angry at it. I know that I can. You can just look at what's going on and get so angry. Well, the Apostle Paul, he, he got angry at what he saw, but he didn't, he didn't get so angry that he, was, that he went around just with a sledgehammer, just wiping out all of, the, all of the idols. He was moved with compassion. There was something in his gut that, that moved him for, for gospel advance. He, he wasn't so irritated that it was just he was apathetic to it that he just said ah oh, just just let them be just just if they want to go to hell if they want to act like that then just just let them go no 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 he was moved with compassion and he he he, he his, his irritation caused him to to move to share the gospel with them and man I just I, I wrote this down it says oh that God would give us eyes like the apostle Paul to see the, uh, the brokenness, to see the, the false worship that is around us. And may it, may it irritate, irritate us, may it, but may it not irritate us to, to apathy or irritate us to, to anger, but may it irritate us to, to move towards people with gospel advance. Listen, when we recognize the idols in our midst, in our, in our community, in our places of work, or on our campuses, may it move us not to anger, but to advance the gospel. So let's, let's keep going. Verse 17. So what does the Apostle Paul do? He's distressed. He has this, this righteous anger about him. Uh, so what does he do? He he reasoned in the synagogue. If you were here with us last week, and we looked at chapter 17, uh, early, earlier verses in chapter 17, that he, he reasons from the Scriptures. He's not just giving his opinion like, like they would have been doing with their philosophies. He is, he is reasoning from the Scriptures in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace. Listen, on, on the Sabbath, he was going into the synagogue, and he was reasoning. He was, he was sharing from the Scriptures, from the Old Testament Scriptures, from, the, from, from all of creation to, to the promise of redemption. And then he was going around to, the other, to the, those who were worshiping God. Then he'd go to the marketplace, just to the, to the places of business, to the places where people were shopping, and he is sharing the gospel with them. And look at what happens. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Now, now, who are these folks? Epicureans and the Stoics. Again, we could really dive into here. We spend a lot of time talking about uh, the, um, who, who, these, who these folks were. But let me just give you a real basic definition. The Epicureans were materialists. And their mantra was, if it feels good, do it. There are no consequences. Now, that's, that is a very basic definition of their, of their philosophical uh, approach to things. If it feels good, do it. Gain all that you can. And whatever you have to do to gain what you can to, to amass all that you can, you do whatever you have to do to amass it. The Stoics, they pursued peace, a, a, a perceived peace or, or, or tranquility, at all costs. Their mantra was grin and bear it. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. And the reason I use air quotes when perceived is because oftentimes there was no tranquility in their life, but yet they were not going to let anyone know that there wasn't peace, that, that the way that they were walking and the way that they were living out their lives and the philosophy that they believed was absolutely true. And so there was just this, uh, just bite your lip and, and, and move forward and don't let anyone know that there's, there's hurt 
and there's pain. And look at, look at what they're saying about the Apostle Paul, which he's, he knows this is going to come. He, he uh, is a wise man. Look at what happens. The middle of verse 18 says, Some said, some of these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. You want to know what, what the Apostle Paul was, uh, was, was, was reasoning with them about? It was that. It was about the gospel. It was about the creation, uh, how, how God created all things and how He, he promised a, a redeemer, a deliverer. And that deliverer is Jesus. And Jesus has come. Jesus was crucified and then He arose again. But they, they're looking at this and they're saying, man, this, this guy is crazy. He's, he's not so. Look at, look at verse 19. Um. The Epicureans and the Stoics, they, they invite the Apostle Paul to, um, I think the closest thing that we could apply this to would be like a TED Talk. You know, you know what TED Talks are? Uh, this, this would be something like, like, like a TED Talk. They, they took him and they brought him to the, to the Areopagus, which was, or, or maybe your translation says Mars Hill. This is where, where all the philosophies of the day would be debated. And these guys would just back and forth debate their philosophies, never really intended to win anyone over to their philosophy, just, just have this, this unending debate. This is just going back and forth. It says, they took him and brought him to Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting. Again, they, they really aren't, aren't curious and they're, they're really not going to change their way of thinking. They just want to add his teaching into all of the other teachings that are going on. Look at what they say, verse 20, because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling and hearing something new. Can you imagine what this looks like? I mean, this is, this is just a TED Talk of one speaker after another speaker after another speaker sharing their philosophy, no one changing anyone's mind. Um, this is, um, this might be a little bit hard, but, but harsh, but, but this is like, this is like Nerdville. You, you with me? This, this, is just, this is just nerdville. Like, 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 okay, it's your turn to get up and you, you've, got, you've got nine minutes to share your, your philosophy. Oh, that's good. And they, and they do the little golf clap. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. And then he sits down and then somebody else, they get up. And they do this for, for days and days and years and years, literally centuries. This is what they would do on Mars Hill. They would just, they would just have, these, have these nerd talks. And they invited the Apostle Paul. They're like, hey, you're, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a nerd, so come and join us and have us, let's have a conversation. So the Apostle Paul, man, he loves it. He, he wants to go right in on what they're inviting him to do. They're, they're busy. They're not really doing anything. Like they're, they're hearing, but it's not changing any of their actions. It's not changing any of their beliefs. They're busy hearing, but they're not active. Look at what happens in verse 22. Paul is probably set through several talks. And then finally, the Apostle Paul stands up. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus. Notice his boldness here. And he says, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious. Now, don't confuse that with, with uh, uh, righteousness. 
They were religious. Like, you know, some people are religious about things that they do. Like, some people I hear, like, drink coffee every single morning. Like, they religiously drink coffee every morning. Like, that was supposed to be a joke, somebody? Thank you. All right. Some people religiously go to the same restaurant after church on Sunday. Like, you just know if you wanted to find them on Sunday at, at such and such o'clock, that's where they would be. Like, you just know they're religious. So it's what... Pastor Paul, people of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. Just don't, don't confuse that with Christianity. Verse 23, For as I was passing through and observing, now this is key, the objects of your worship. Underline that, underscore that in your Bible. As I was observing the objects of your worship. Here's, Paul is now identifying their idols. An idol is anything that we worship. He says, as, as I was walking through your community, through walking through uh, the marketplace, I, I recognized your idols of worship. I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you, here's the word again, what you worship, what you ascribe worth to, that's literally what worship means, what you ascribe worth to, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Apostle Paul has now identified their idols, the things that they are prescribing worth to. They are worshiping these idols. And, and they even, as I said earlier, they even had, had, had an idol that, that had inscribed on it the unknown God. Now, I find this very interesting. They were in, in the Greek, the word unknown in the original language is agnostos. Which is where we get the English word agnostic. Agnostic. And he, he, says, he says this, this unknown God, this, you, the, you are agnostics, you're, you're worshiping a God you really don't even know anything about. This is like a softball on a tee for the Apostle Paul. He says, ah, okay. Let me tell you who this unknown God is. This is what exactly what he does. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world... Let me back up. I want you to see this. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. He's going to tell them who this God is, and he does so. Starting in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Now begin to think about, think about what they are... They're, they're looking at this, this shrine and they're saying that's, that's the creator of the world which He is going to remove their thinking from that shrine to, to something they can't even see. But, but it's, they have to begin to think, oh, well, what about my God? Did, did my God create anything? Is, is my God my, my Lord? No, my God can't create anything. My God's not my, my Lord. He's not my boss neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives gives everyone life and breath and all things verse 24 from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live here's what he has just said to them this god that you don't know anything about that i'm proclaiming to you he knows your birth date he knows your expiration date. 
and He knows your address. Why would the God of the universe, the Creator of the world, know your date of birth, your expiration date, and why does He know where you live? Well, He tells us in the very next verse, verse 27, He did this so that they might seek God. He did this. He, he knows us. He, he, he is well aware of us. He makes Himself known to us so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. Verse 28, For in Him we live and move, have our being, and as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Oh, so much there. Verse 29, Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think... Now here's what He's doing. Now He is removing God from this this little statue that they have created. Watch what he says here. Verse 29, Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. Oh no, no, listen. That idol, that, that little shrine that you've created, that's not God. But I can tell you, who God is. There is only one God. He is the creator of the universe. He is your creator. He knows you. He knows knows where you live. He has planted you right here where you live for the sole purpose that you would cry out to Him. He has placed a hole in your heart that you would would long for Him. And and here's what you're doing. You, You are filling Him with all of these other idols in your life. Listen, your own poets have said, or we, as, we are His offspring. Then he, if we're His offspring, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Listen, gods can't be all of these idols that we have created with our own creativity, with our own artistic uh, rendering of who this God is. No, listen, that is not God. None of these are gods. Now, let's... Man, I'm leaving so much. In, in, but let's apply this. Let's quickly move to application to our own lives. Do Christians have idols? Yes. Now, we might not have the shrines in our, uh, that, that we think of, you know, the, uh, the, the little monkey gods or the, or the elephant gods, or we might not have the, uh, the, the Asherah poles in our, in our front yards, or, or we might not have the little shrine in the corner of our house. That might not be exactly what our idols look like, but we do have idols. Let me, let me give you some definition. An idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. When someone or something becomes more important to us than God. And, and, and I know at first when we hear that, we might go, well, there's nothing in my life that is more important to God. Well, let's drill down on that just a little bit more. Even good things can become idols when we make them ultimate things in our life. Let's drill down on that a, a little bit more. Anything or anyone can become an idol if we place a value on that thing, person, above our value for God. Drill down a little bit farther. Anything I worship or serve has become an idol. So let me give you a definition of worship. 
Anything that we place worth, value, above God is worship. Someone or something is in the position of glory. That's, that's preeminence. That's power. That's, that's significance. This is your greatest treasure, your deepest longing. It is your first love. This is the person or the thing that is above all else. This is in the position of glory. And what do we do is we, we worship this thing that has risen to the top in our life, that, that we have placed worth in above all else. We, we begin to worship it by making sacrifices with our time, with our energy, with our money, with our heart's attention, with our mind's focus. Those things become idols in our life. Attention goes to the thing that is our little G God, and we worship it. Now, um, I'm quite sure when the Apostle Paul walked into the Areopagus and he stood up and began to identify their idols, it was painful. It wasn't something that they really enjoyed, as we'll see here in just a moment. Many of them, most of them, rejected what he was saying. And so let me give you some examples, and this might be somewhat painful, but let's, let's go through it. Who or what would we most likely worship instead of Jesus? Let me give you a few. Our spouse, our children, our health, our comfort, our grandchildren. All of those, listen, they're, they're not bad things. They are good things. They are gifts from God. But they were not given to be worshipped instead of God. And that's why people become disappointed when their spouse doesn't meet all of their requirements. They doesn't meet all of their needs. They, they've got their spouse in the position of Jesus, expecting from their spouse only what Jesus can give. Comfort, security, peace, sinless, in, in sinlessness, or, or in, in relational harmony. It's, it's, it's like my, I, my spouse is supposed to make me happy. And God wants me happy. And since God wants me happy and my spouse isn't making me happy, then I must check out. The spouse has become the idol. These good gifts from God were not given to be worshipped instead of God. They, they, become dis- they become disappointed with their children because their children do not give them the significance and the, and the success and the satisfaction that they, that they yearn for. And so they, uh, they, they, they get angry at God when their children aren't, aren't turning out the way that they Expected them to be. This is why people, when they get sick, they curse God and they become very angry because their health is what they truly worship. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should rid ourselves. That we, we can't. We're, we're not, we, we shouldn't rid ourselves of these things. That's not what I'm talking about. For many of these things, it would be absolutely impossible. Rather, what we need to do is not get rid of them, but we need to evaluate our lives and make sure that they are in the right order. That none of these things have become more important than God to us. That none of these things get our worship. So, 
what, what is a sign that good things, even things that God has given us, have become idols in our life? What is a sign that good things, even things that God has given us, have become idols in our life? Write this down. When the good things get our worship and God gets our leftovers, that has become an idol. When the good things get our worship and God gets our leftovers, that thing has become an idol. Listen, what what is getting our attention? What is getting our focus? What is getting our heart's affection? So much so that God is getting the leftovers of my energy, of my heart's affection, of my time. Then that brothers and sisters in Christ, has become, even though it is a good thing, it is not the greatest thing, which is God. So here's five questions. And I hope that you'll write these down. They'll be on the screen. Five questions to ask ask ourselves if we want to identify the idols in our life. If If you're interested in identifying what these idols could be in your life, then let me give you five questions to ask of yourself. Here's number one. What am I most afraid of? What am I most afraid of? I don't want to get sick. I don't want to be alone. I don't want my spouse to die. I don't want to be at the funeral of my child. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want the stock market to crash. I don't want to lose my last friend. What are you most afraid of that terrifies you if you was to lose it that would cause you just to spin out that you would just that you would just twist off and and possibly even reject God if you was to lose it what am i most afraid of the answer to that question very well could be your idol what you're saying is god how dare you take my idol? The second question that we can ask ourselves if we want to identify the idols in our life is what do I long for most passionately? What do I long for most passionately? What gets you up in the morning? Why do you go to the work? Do you remember, um, you remember the, the song of the uh, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work we go. Or it's, it's off to home we go. No, I, mean, I wrote it down. Hi-ho, let's see. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's home from work we go. Sorry. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's home from work we go. Several years ago, someone changed the lyrics and made a bunch of bumper stickers. You've probably seen them. I-O, I-O. It's off to work I go yeah, it's like I, it's because I owe, because, because I'm leaving this house that I'm going to be paying on for all my life, because I'm driving this vehicle that I'm going to be paying on for as long as I'm paying on my house, I owe, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. This is driving me. This, all of these things, like, like, like the, the Epicureans, these, this materialist, this, this is what is driving me. Everything. This is what's driving me to parent my children the way I'm parenting them. This is what's driving me to, to, uh, to, to marry the spouse that I'm marrying. This is, this, is what's, this is my passion. I long for most passionately. 
The third, third question to ask. We want to identify the idols in our life. Where do I run for comfort? Where do I run for comfort? Things go bad. You get stressed. It's a horrible week. What do you run to? Do you run to alcohol? Do you run to food? Do you run to pornography? Do you run to a vice? Do you, do you get angry? Uh, do, you, do you curse? Uh, do you just go to bed and pull up the covers and just, and just say, man, I'm, I'm never going out in public again? Do you, you know, sit down with a half gallon of Bluebell and Netflix? and like, My life will never ever be the same. So I'm just, this is what I run to. Listen, what you run to for comfort very well could be your idol. My idol. All of these. This we're together in this. Fourth question to ask if we want to identify the idols in our life. What do I want to have more than anything else? What do I want to have more than anything else? That's a good question to ask yourself. This is the proverbial uh, genie in a bottle. If I just come to you and say, man, hey, listen, you, I, I can make anything happen for you. You, you just, what is one wish? What is that one thing you want above everything else? What is that one thing you want? You name it, one thing. I'm going to give you one thing. What is it? Whatever the answer to that is, very well could be your idol. What would the Apostle Paul say to that question? I think we can find the answer in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, My goal is to know Him, Jesus, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. That's what I want to know more than anything else. Listen, if our answer to that question isn't Jesus, then it is an idol. And listen, there's, there's a lot of great things that we can want, but if there's only one thing that we could have, it would be a growing love and knowledge for God. Listen, that, that's, why, that's why in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the very first of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not have any other gods but me. Right? And, and, the, and the truth is this, why does God place that as number one? Because if we get that right... We don't have to worry about the other nine. But why does He give us the other nine? <laughs> because He knows we're not going to get that right. So this is a growth. This is a, this is a process of us recognizing, man, I have idols in my life. I'm letting some things kind of come up to the top and I'm beginning to worship some things. And God is saying this, listen, nothing, nothing that you could ever amass will be worth what I have for you, who I am in your life. And so listen, I'm not taking something away from you that would harm you. I am take that, that will harm you if I take it away. I'm taking something away from you that will benefit you if you don't worship it. If you only worship me. What I want more than anything else. Number five, here's a fifth question. If we want to ask, fifth question to ask ourselves if we want to identify the idols in our life. What do I make the biggest sacrifices for? That's, what do I make the biggest sacrifices for? Time. Sacrifice of time. Sacrifice of energy. Sacrifice of money. Sacrifice of effort. Long hours. Devotion. Listen to the, the answer. What, what we are sacrificing the most for very well could be an idol in our life. What's on your mind when you can't sleep? What are you thinking about? Is it Jesus? 
Listen, why is it imper- imperative for us to root out the idols in our life? Why is it imperative for us to, uh, to go through this, this difficult exercise of, of recognizing, man, there's an idol in my life and I need to get rid of it. Why? Well, number one, God, it's the first commandment. Let's start there. That's first. But outside of that, here's the reality. True contentment, true satisfaction, true joy, true peace, true assurance, true confidence, true fulfillment can only be found in Christ. If you was to never lose anything, if you was to gain absolutely everything, if you was to be able to place all of your energy and time for, for that one thing, if, if it all, if, if just the calendar and the schedule is all lined up for that one thing, listen, Jesus is saying, it cannot match the joy and the peace that I can give you. And so our idols were... We're raising above in worth and prominence. We're worshiping those. Listen, all other things have to magnify His greatness. And so our spouse, our children, our jobs, our homes, the cars, the, uh, the, the, the chip that is going to go into the queso at lunch today, all of that is not for me to worship, but to give thanks to the one who has given it to me. That, that is the right order. It's not the, it's not the other way around. It's not, God, if I get this, then I will worship you here. No, it's, listen, I will worship you here first so that when these things come, I can even give you thanks for those as well. But they'll never be above you. Listen, if it all gets taken away, if there was absolutely nothing, if there was no one, there's still Jesus. There's still Jesus. If we lose it all, there's still Jesus. Look at what the Apostle Paul does in verse 30. He closes his message. He's gone... Really, from the very beginning, creation, God is a creator. He goes now all the way to redemption. He talks about Jesus. And now look what he says. Here's grace. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, he's standing before the people there in the Areopagus. And he's saying, God has overlooked... This is grace. God has poured out His grace. He has overlooked the times of your unknowing, of your agnosticism, your ignorance. God now commands all people everywhere to repent. That's what God's calling us to. God has shown us grace. If you, have a, if you have a heart beating inside of your chest, God has, God has shown you, He's poured out His, His grace on you, and His, He has overlooked these, these times of ignorance. But now that we know that as Christians, yes, even I can have an idol in my life, He is calling us to repent. Why? Because judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. It's coming one day closer than it was yesterday. It's 
coming 30, 40 minutes closer than what it was when I started this message a second before I just said that last sentence. It is coming. This is what he says. Verse 31, because he has set a day. God knows. And every day he doesn't come back is a day of grace. Look at what he says. But he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He is saying, God is going to judge your righteousness by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, Mother Teresa couldn't even stand up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so so we we can't say, well, man, I'm I'm really not that bad. I didn't really. No, listen, God is going to judge us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here's the beauty of that. That Jesus Christ has looked at us. He says, we can't. They can't do it. I must go to the cross. I must pay the penalty of their sin. I must take on the shame of their sin. And Jesus does. He goes to the cross and then He says He he was resurrected to prove that He is the Messiah. He is the very child of God. And look at what happens. Verse 32. When the crowd, the people, the, the philosophers, when they heard this, about the resurrection of the dead, some became, began to ridicule him. So some, some out, out, flat out rejected the Apostle Paul's teaching. Some began to ridicule him, but others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Let me tell you, both of those are rejection. Flat out rejection, the ridiculing. Man, we, don't, we think you are just full of junk. That's rejection. But saying, you know, let me kind of mull this over a little bit. Let me... Let me kind of think about what you said. And let me consider what you said, kind of talk about it. That's rejection. Both of those. Listen, we're not promised another opportunity for you to think about it. They, they both, both groups, the majority of them there, they rejected the Apostle Paul's teaching. Look what happens. So Paul left their presence. He just leaves. He goes on. He t- begins to travel to Corinth. But here's the praise. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with him. Listen, what will you do with the message that you've heard this morning? What will you do if, if, if God has, has revealed there's some idols in your life? Will you just kind of mull it over and think it through? Or will you repent? Will you, will you recognize that idol is an affront to God. That God is a jealous God. God only wants us to worship Him and Him alone. Nothing else should gather our worship. Nothing else should, should be worth more to us than God and God alone. So will you do as the Apostle Paul calls them to do? Will you? Well, he's calling us to do. Repent. Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ, please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text 
FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.